You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. in the churches was not a time of complacency for they grew both spiritually and when they grew spiritually they grew numerically it was not a time of complacency there's no room for complacency in the will of God we are not to be complacent and this is my fear of the church today my fear of the church today is we don't have a grasp on the fact that we are in the end times there's not an urgency knowing that at any minute the rapture could happen and we could be out of here We don't have that urgency to preach the gospel. It isn't easy to just kick back and assume others will do the work of ministry. If things aren't difficult and opposed, your natural tendency is to do nothing. Pastor Dave urges you today to realize that the church should be prompted to take action rather than sitting back and doing nothing. Jesus is coming back soon. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 9 as he continues his message. From Pharisee to basket case, from basket case to apostle. Barnabas took them and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You have to love Barnabas. Here's a man who allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him, allowed the Holy Spirit to guide him, allowed the Holy Spirit to give him discernment about Paul, Saul. He took time to get to know Saul. He listened to his story. He didn't just blow him off and said, no, come back when your works are better. Come back when you have a better life. Come back when there's change in your life. He welcomed him with open arms. In fact, the actual Greek wording here is that Barnabas actually took Saul by the hand and led him into the apostles' place. Almost like he's saying, come out front of the bed, guys. He's here. Peter, come out from under there. Hey, he won't bite. Saul's here. Come on, guys. Barnabas was an intercessor. He was a reconciler. His faith allowed him to forgive the past. His faith allowed him to put aside, and his faith was so full of God's grace that it enabled him to trust Saul despite his past sins and despite his past dangers. He had a great understanding of the grace of God. You know, so many times we as Christians are often very, very evangelical in our theology, but we don't Excuse me, we distrust others. You know, we love to see receive God's grace, but sometimes we're not too quick to give it out. Maybe we just need a fresh understanding of what God's grace is all about. I know I do at times. I'm just as guilty as the next person. I want to know what God's grace is. I want to be able to establish that grace and show that grace. Unfortunately, I don't. I hold it back sometimes. But how beautiful is the ministry of Barnabas? He confirmed in others what no one else could confirm. He helped believers to be reconciled one to another. He took risks for Jesus Christ, and he promoted the ministry of others within the body and rejoiced at their success. Imagine that. Letting someone have a higher seat than you in an authority. Promoting someone else's ministry other than your own. God mightily uses men and women like Barnabas for his glory. And oh, how the church today needs men and women like Barnabas. It's interesting how the Lord uses people to do his will. How the Lord pulls people out of places, 
The Lord has used two people in Saul's early Christian life. Two people. Two unknowns basically to him. He sent Ananias, remember, the disciple? The one who greeted him as brother and welcomed him into the kingdom of God and prayed with him so he might receive his eyesight. And then he sends Barnabas, who was a great encourager anyhow, because he knew exactly what Paul needed at the time. He knew that Paul was disillusioned. He knew that Paul was discouraged. He knew that Paul was feeling let down. He knew that Paul might be at the point of quitting. I don't know what to do. Has the Lord ever done that in your life? At the perfect time, when you're feeling so low, get a phone call. Somebody calls you. Somebody comes over. You see someone in church. Somebody says the right word at the right time. And you know it's from God. God uses people mightily in our lives, and that's why fellowship and is so important. That's why it's so important that we fellowship one to another. When we get that iron to sharpen iron, when we hear the words of love from someone else, wow, it means so much. I like to call those people centerers because they center me back on Christ. They center me back on where I need to be because sometimes I, I kind of drift. But they center me back on Christ. I love that when someone does that for me. Verse 28, he says, so he was with them in Jerusalem, coming in and going out. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he speaks of this time in Jerusalem in Galatians 1, 18 and 19. He said, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So Saul now is in Jerusalem. He's accepted by the brethren, and he spends 15 days with Peter. That must have been some meeting. Some meeting between Peter and, and, and Saul. Must have been really good. Was it preparation for Saul? It doesn't say. Was it preparation for Peter? It really doesn't say. But can you imagine that meeting? Can you imagine the fellowship they were having? What a great time. You know, this shows the importance of Christian brotherhood, of Christian fellowship, of getting together with the saints and speaking and talking. And invariably, when you do that, what subject comes up? The Lord. The Lord comes up, and you start to talk about the Lord. But still... Saul has this want for his countrymen to be saved. And he goes back in the synagogue again, and he preaches again. Look at verse 30, 29 and 30. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. They sent him home. Tarsus, remember, he was Saul of Tarsus. They sent him home. Did the Lord forget about the promise to the Gentiles? I mean, excuse me, did Bar... Um, did Saul forget about the Lord's promise to the Gentiles? Here he is back in the temple speaking boldly in the name of Christ, and he's arguing against the Hellenists. Just like the harmony of the Gospels, you have to read many scriptures sometimes to get a better picture of what's going on here. And sometimes we have to do that with the Bible. Up ahead in Acts 22, in verses 17 through 21, the Apostle Paul would say, now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprison and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. So Paul, is Saul, was praying, praying. And the Lord again appears to him and says, what are you doing? I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Depart. Go to the Gentiles. He spent 15 days in Jerusalem. He goes into the temple, as he always does, and he starts to pray, and he has this great vision. And the Lord says, go, depart. Was Paul saying to the Lord, Lord, we're missing a great opportunity here. 
I mean, I'm your man for the Jews. I'm your man. I've got all this training. I've got all this background. You remember Gamaliel? I mean, i got all this stuff. I'm, I'm your man. You need to send me to the Jews. The Lord's saying, no, depart and go to the Gentiles. You know, it's not always the one with the best talent. It's not always the one with the best knowledge. It's not always the one with the best reputation that is called into the ministry. It's not always the best qualified by the world's standards that get called into ministry and that bring the Word of God to other people. The Lord doesn't look at our qualifications. He doesn't look at your studies, your knowledge. He doesn't look at that. He calls you, and then He prepares you for the ministry that He's called you with. And He prepares each one of us individually. He's not preparing me the same way He's preparing you because it's individual. It's a personal relationship. He He prepares us each for that work that He has us to do. The Lord wasn't finished with Saul by any means. Nor was he finished with Saul's preparation. For Saul would go to Tarsus and they won't hear of him again for at least seven to ten years. He's unheard of. But the next time we meet him, back in chapter 11, guess who's bringing him back? Barnabas. Barnabas again brings him back to the church at Antioch. And there he helps to start the Lord's work. And from that time on, from chapter 11... All the way through the rest of the book of Acts, it's all about the Apostle Paul and his ministry. But the foundation of ministry had already been laid. It's been well laid, and Saul would eventually shake the world upside down with the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. He just had to be placed in the right place. Square peg, round hole. He had to be placed in the right place. Sometimes if we're beating our heads against the wall when we're in ministry, maybe we're not doing what the Lord has called us to do. Maybe we need to reevaluate to where we're going and what we're saying, and maybe we need to allow the Lord to say, okay, you tried this, it's not working, this wasn't my will, go here. Sometimes we just have to listen to be led. That song we sang, it's not about words, word of God speaks, it's not about what I say to God. That has nothing to do with I say to God. That is so meaningless. Me thinking I could tell God something. Me thinking that I could get on my knees and direct God to do something or something. Has nothing to do with I will ever say, but it always has to do with what he has to say and what he wants to do. And for some crazy reason, he's chosen me and he's chosen you to do these things. He still wants to shake that world. In verse 31, we read that the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The Lord continues to add to the church. He continues to add to his number. Notice that the time of peace for the churches was not a time of complacency. Let me repeat that. The time of peace in the churches was not a time of complacency. For they grew both spiritually, and when they grew spiritually, they grew numerically. It was not a time of complacency. There's no room for complacency in the will of God. We are not to be complacent. And this is my fear of the church today. My fear of the church today is we don't have a grasp on the fact that we are in the end times. There's not an urgency knowing that at any minute the rapture could happen and we could be out of here. We don't have that urgency to preach the gospel well, yeah, the Lord will get back. You know, he'll, he'll be here. Yeah, yeah, he's coming. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
We don't have that sense. And I challenge you to listen to the news, to look at things that are happening and see how they line up in biblical prophecy. And if that doesn't give you a sense of urgency, then you need to get down on your knees and pray for it because we need a sense of urgency to preach the gospel message to those that are still outside who have not been saved yet. God still wants to do a mighty work, and he still is calling us to do it. There is no room for complacency. The church, instead of sitting around in peace and enjoying the peace and safety, they seize the opportunity to repair themselves and to strengthen themselves in the word of God. Why? Because the next battle is always over the hill. When you're enjoying the peace of God and you're sitting here reveling in the peace of God, know in your mind that I better be prepared, I better be strengthened, because just over the horizon is the next battle. It's coming in. Why do you think I tell you my favorite, my favorite verses and it came to pass? That's why I say that all the time. We need to be prepared for the battles that are coming. There's battles ahead that will happen in our lives. Don't use this time as complacency. I have such peace with the Lord. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm just resting in the Lord, okay? And then when the trial comes, you go, what happened? Well, you were resting in the Lord. <laughs> you know, and uh, we need to be prepared. How do you get prepared? You come to church, you fellowship, you read your word, you have, have, have communion with God. That's how we become prepared. And that's how God wants to prepare you. So Paul leaves Jerusalem and returns home to Tarsus. And Peter returns to the scene. Next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Peter again. The Lord is always using someone to do his will. When one is removed while he's being prepared or something out, he brings someone else in. This is something that we need to learn. And the truth here is no one is indispensable in the house of God. No one is indispensable or irreplaceable. God can replace anybody at any time to do his work. We need to know that and recognize it. And he removes people for all kinds of reasons. But usually he removes them for restoration so he can use them someplace else. Saul's going to return in chapter 11, like I said. But you know, there's three applications I can see from this whole passage that we study today. There's three applications. First of all, the Lord does everything possible to do away with the energy of our human flesh in order to teach us that without him, we can do nothing. Remember Jesus' words in John 15, verse 5? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. We got to get rid of the flesh. We got to stop standing on our own two feet. Somebody says to me, Oh, you know what? You use the Lord as a crutch. Yeah, you're right. I use him as the entire ambulance, pal. I don't use him just as a crutch. He's the entire ambulance, man. I'm hanging on him all the time. I'm always hanging on him. Oh, he's just a crutch. Well, I'll tell you, he's more than a crutch. I can tell you all the times that he's carried me, and that's where I want myself to be carried by him. What does Paul the Apostle Paul at the time, right to Philippian church finally. In verse 413, you love it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know this is some of your life verses. It's something that is so powerful. What We can't do nothing without of them. Look at the contrast. We can do absolutely nothing without them. So why do we try? Why do we try? Knuckleheads. Why do we try to do things without the Lord? When he clearly says, you can't do anything without me. Don't you get the thing? I said, nothing, nothing. What does that mean? Nothing. Yeah. You can do nothing. But I can do all things with Christ who strengthens me. See, I need to be ever aware of exactly who's doing the work. 
So the Lord wants me to realize that we can't do without him, whether this happens with a professional job situation, a death in the family, some other failure or burden. We all come to the end of ourselves from time to time, and that's a good place to be. God loves to renew and re-enable a person when they come to that such point. Dead today, unlimited possibilities tomorrow. Dead to your flesh, unlimited possibilities. Want to be his disciple? Deny yourself. Unlimited possibilities. Secondly, in the service of the Lord, no one is indispensable. The church is going to go on just fine. Sometimes the Lord shows us by placing us on a shelf for a while as he prepares us for even future and greater ministries. And thirdly, it takes time to build a life that is eminently unstable, usable in the Lord's program. It takes a lifetime to build a life that is usable in the Lord's program. We need to be still, know that he's God. We need to listen to him. We need to follow him, and we need to learn from him. We need to learn from him. Don't undervalue the times when you're out of the mainstream. Times that you need to be recharged. Times that you need to rest. Times that you need to be further trained. In such times, the Lord prepares us, and he has greater things, and he needs to say, okay, now, this was wonderful. Yeah, this was wonderful, Lord. Okay, I'm going to take you here. I mean, look at the examples we have. Look at the examples we have. Philip is in Samaria, and people are getting saved left and right. It's the Philip crusade. People are everywhere getting saved. He's like, this is great. This is wonderful. Philip, I want you to go to the desert. But the action's here. People are getting saved. I'm being used by like, Philip, I want you to go to the desert. And when he goes to the desert, there's one guy. One guy. But this one guy accepts Jesus Christ. And this one guy then takes the gospel message to an entire continent, to an entire new people. Don't think with your mind. Think with the Lord's mind. We have the mind of Christ. Let the Lord lead you and guide you. We have to let the the greater being come about. It's the Lord's work. The Lord will do it. In conclusion, John Corson said, when it comes to Jesus initially, you find rest from your work. When you come to Jesus initially, you find rest from your work. You no longer have to work for salvation because you've come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. You have rest. But when it's only when you are yoked to Jesus that you will find rest for your heart. You can be saved. And you can be at rest from your work, but you might not have peace in your heart and rest for your soul because you're still trying to do everything your way, Frank Sinatra. You're still trying to do everything in your power and in your strength. Perhaps today you might have a rest from your works. You've been born again, praise God, and you're a believer, but you don't have rest in your heart. Your heart is unsettled. Maybe you're troubled about many things, family, finances, ministry, health, relationships, etc., etc., etc. You know why this is? It's troubled. You're troubled in your heart because we fail to take Jesus' yoke upon us. We fail to take his yoke, and we try to call the shots in our own lives. We try to be a boss of our life. It's my life, and I'm going to do it my way. And my loving Lord says, okay, go ahead. I'll be here. You know, even our ideas when they're good, even when our ideas are noble, but they're worthless if it's not what God wants us to do. They're worthless if it's not God-inspired. If you're troubled today because someone let you down, some project didn't open up or some relationship didn't work up, you can have a choice to become a basket case. We can let you down over the side of the wall in bitterness and defeat. We can let you down, and you can be bitter, and you can be defeated and go, well, okay, have your pity party. You can do what I do, get on your feet and stomp your hands and kick your feet. 
Have your pity party. Or you can be like Saul, and you can learn to trust in the Lord and see the bigger picture. See the eternal. See what's going on. Lord, your way, not my way. I give that up to you. What do you want me to do? I want to yoke myself to you. What is a yoke? You know what a yoke is? A yoke is a device that they take, and they take two animals, usually one dumb, one not-so-smart animal who doesn't know where he's going, and they take it to a very, very smart animal, and they put them together so that the one who is very, very smart leads the way. Guess which animal we are? Yeah. We need to be yoked to Jesus Christ. We need to be yoked at him, but yet, guess what? I'm yoked to Christ, and I'm still pulling us to the yoke, going, come on, Lord, we're going this way. I'm still doing it. I got marks on my neck from pulling the yoke to a lot. Come on, we're going. He goes, no, we're going this way. Now, this may have been what Saul had been trying to do. We're not sure, because it took 10 more years for him to really give his life to the Lord. When he really came to the point, he said, not my will, but your will, Lord. Saul becomes... The Apostle Paul, he goes from a basket case to an apostle by the work of the Lord's hand. The Lord takes the humility, he takes the humble, and he raises it up. The Lord takes what was dead and makes it alive. The Lord wants to do that in your life today. He wants to take those dead thoughts. He wants to take those dead relationships. He wants to take those, those dead finances, those dead problems, and he wants to raise them to life today, but he wants to do it his way. And he wants you to follow him. He becomes the great apostle to the Gentiles, and he changes the world. He changes the way we think in the world because he finally accepted the yoke of the Lord and the Lord places his yoke upon him. This is why we look back at that day. This is why, excuse me, this is why he looked back at that day that he was let down as a basket on that wall as one of the best days of his life because he finally knew, I can't do this. I can't do it. Don't try to persuade the Lord to go your way. When you're let down, don't get disappointed. Don't get discouraged. Don't get disillusioned. Draw close to the Lord. Lean on him. Lean on his strength and say, what do you want me to do? His plan is probably different than yours. Because we base our strengths on our abilities and our, strength and our skills and our talents. If we use our own strengths and our own abilities, then we get all the glory and he gets none. We have to use his strength and his ability. Because one thing I had to learn early on in my Christian life, and this was a hard one, folks, it's not about me. I imagine what Saul's conversation with the Lord sounded like that night, that day he had this vision. The Lord speaks to Saul and says, to the Gentiles, Saul, I want you to do an entirely different work through you, and I'm going to do it great, Saul. But my heart is for the Jews, Lord. To the Gentiles, Saul. But my background, my training. To the Gentiles, Saul. But Lord, to the Gentiles. <gasps> okay, Lord. Okay. I'll go. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope.